getting risky with it on this healthcare edition of Industry Focus. It is Wednesday, March 9th, 2016. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I've got Todd Campbell, Motley Fool's fantastic healthcare contributor, on the line calling in from New Hampshire. It is absolutely beautiful out at Fool HQ in Alexandria, Virginia today. Is the sun shining up by you as well? It is an astonishing 70 degrees in New Hampshire. That is unheard of unprecedented for March. Yeah, I definitely did my morning prep for this episode sitting outside. Yeah, it's supposed to be mud season here. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I miss it, but. Well, there you go. So today's topic is something near and dear to all biotech investors' hearts, risk. It's one of the riskiest industries out there, and I would argue that the best way to mitigate this risk is by simply understanding it. So with that in mind, let's lay out some categories of risks that biotechs face. Like most um, things in life, education is the key to overcoming adversity, right? So the more we can learn about risk and, and the risks we face as invest in, in, in investors in biotech and pharmaceuticals, the better prepared we are to deal with them and, and position our portfolios for success. I tend to think of risk as falling into three categories uh, in biopharma. You've got trial failure risk commercial failure risk, and patent expiration risk. Those are the biggies. Okay. So let's start from the very top there. So risk of trial failure, how big of a risk is that? How should investors be thinking about it? Well, we've got, unfortunately, a a really good example uh, in Celdex, a company that was working on therapy for uh, brain cancer, uh, glioblastoma, um, that at one point was very promising, but unfortunately, just recently, uh, the company announced that it's going to have to discontinue its study because, sure enough, uh, a late-stage uh, trial will not outperform placebo. Yeah, that was a huge disappointment when we saw it in the news. And the stock tanked, what, 50% or so just on that one news item? Right. You know, this stock is down below $4 now, and this is an extremely you know, probably a touchy, painful subject for investors who own the stock, um, given that it was trading around $30 last summer. Um, You know, as recently as the fourth quarter conference call, management seemed encouraged. Uh, They were offering up encouraging words. Um, You know, the CEO said that, you know, he believes that, you know, that fundamentally they have a drug that's approvable in this drug, Rintenga. Uh, the chief medical officer said that you know they, they there's always there was the chance that maybe it could get stopped the trial could get stopped early for success, and it could get to the market sooner rather than later. So you know I think what this does is it reminds investors that you know you can take a drug that looks really really good in mid stage trials for a very important indication like brain cancer where so many people uh, you know thousands of people get it unfortunately thousands of people are still dying from it. Uh, And that can make you think, wow, they're going to revolutionize this indication. And this is going to be a fantastic investment for me to to get involved in. Uh, Until the drug clears the phase three trials, which is the third stage, um, it's you just you can't assume anything. Yeah, especially with cancer medicines. I mean, we know that 90 percent of medicines fail at some point during clinical trials. That number goes up to 93 percent when we're talking about cancer. Cancer is very, very hard to treat. Uh, and to attack and, and medicines that they're developing now are incredibly complex, so we don't fully understand them, especially 
when they get rolled out into much larger uh, patient populations in, in phase three. This trial had 745 participants in it. Anything can and, and sometimes does happen. You know, in this case, it wasn't necessarily a failure of Rentiga. It was a, it was a, a better than expected outcome for the people who are the, taking the, the control arm or the placebo group. You know, in, in past trials, the placebo group didn't perform nearly as well uh, as they did in this phase three trial. So, you know, it's hard to say that Rintego is a, is a complete failure. But that being said, you know, the company has halted development of the drug. And, you know, that basically leaves investors saying, OK, well, what could happen next for the company? So it seems like there might still be a little bit of promise in this company. Do you think it, it, that falls into Rintega, or do they have any other assets to fall back on? I, I think you got to consider Rintega as basically, you know, gone for now. I, I don't think you'll, unless they can do some retroactive analysis that that allows them to figure out how to run another trial. I don't see any more development of that drug. They do have two other drugs though that are interesting. One will shorten the names because, as we all know, the names are hard to pronounce in, in biotech, the generic names. But one is Glemba and the other is Varley. And these are both mono, monoclonal antibodies uh, that are under development in mid and late stage trials for cancer. Um, results from both trials uh, could start rolling out to investors either later this year or in 2017. So there are some catalysts that could uh, re-energize the stock price. However, as we saw with um, Rintega, you just you know there's there's still a lot of risk here i mean they, if if neither of these trials pan out then you got to look at other trials in development um the, that being said you know the market cap is far lower today than it was a month ago they do have a pretty good amount of cash on hand it should get them through 2017 so moving a little bit farther down the approval pathway, once you have a drug that has gone through trials and it didn't fail, in fact, it performed great and it goes through approval, gets the green light from the FDA, the next risk that you're looking at there is commercial failure. How does that one work? Well, you know, probably the best recent example of a commercial failure is Mankind's Afreza. Um, you and I have talked a lot about it on the show uh, when it launched or when approval from the FDA um, people thought that it could really change um, the burden that's that's on patient diabetics uh, in how they they dose themselves with insulin. Afreza is an inhalable version of insulin um, that theoretically would reduce the need for them to inject themselves with insulin uh, at mealtime. People thought that was a big advantage. Um, however, commercially, uh, it just didn't it it didn't stick, um, and as a result, sales ended up you know, in, in the couple million dollars a quarter range. And that's just not enough to keep the lights on. Yeah. And this, mind you, was a drug that before it was actually commercialized was forecast to be a billion dollar blockbuster. And the disappointment that came with it really just hammered the stock. But interestingly, I was looking at it. Last time we talked about this, this company on the podcast was January 6th of this year. And Mankind is up almost 60% since then. Would you take that as some sort of sign of encouragement that maybe there is something to this whole Afreza drug? Well, it's 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 now in a, what a one or two dollar stock, and I I don't know. I don't put much credence in the share price movement at this point. They've got a tremendous amount of, of debt. Their their financial their balance sheet isn't very healthy. Uh, I I feel like you know you're grasping at straws and thinking that Sanofi, who was the commercialization partner, that they failed where they were able to build. 
you know, Lantus into a multi-billion dollar long-lasting insulin uh, drug. You know, they failed with Afreza and mankind thinks that on their own that they can do better. I, I don't know. I think the proof has to be in the pudding there. I think at this point you have to say this is a commercial failure. And until they prove you otherwise, better to stay on the sidelines and just, you know, not risk a, an up 20% or down 20% day with your money. Yeah, that's the impression I've always had from the stock is that it is extremely volatile, extremely risky. And recently, the the bump that it's had, to me, seems like speculation more than anything over a possible buyout. But again, remains to be seen. So our third and final risk is patent risk. Um, so this is even farther along in a drug's life when it actually hits maybe the end of its commercially useful life. Right. And I think a great example of this, we actually had uh, one of our listeners write in about uh, questions on this stock. So I'm glad that we're talking about it today is PDL, uh, symbol PDLI. Um, PDL, basically, they get the vast majority of their revenue in royalties on patents that um, they own on monoclonal antibodies uh, for some of the best selling drugs in the world, drugs like Aviston. Highly complex, expensive drugs that are multi-billion-dollar blockbusters, and they just were sitting back, raking in cash. And as a result, uh, they pay one of the highest dividend uh, yields out there. Um, however, uh, the patents have all expired on those uh, on those drugs, and now, as a result, uh, PDLI uh, doesn't expect to get any meaningful revenue uh, from those drugs or from those patents uh, after this quarter. Yeah, thank you to Aaron in Oklahoma City who wrote in uh, asking about PDLI. He says that it popped up on a screener for him with these really impressive financials and was just kind of wondering what else there was to this story. And I I think this is a really good way to paint the picture of what happens when patents expire. I mean, you can have a really awesome revenue generator and then it just dries up when generic competition comes in. But yeah, I, in this case, right, Christine, we're talking about over 80% of PDL's revenue, and it's just going to disappear. Yeah, exactly. One question that I do want to address with patent risk is whether or not you can trust what the company itself says. You know, maybe not so much your PDLI, but any sort of drug maker that says, oh, don't worry about it, we've got all these additional patents covering us through 2020 or whatever year. Yeah, we've seen that a lot more with biotechnologies that have complex, uh, biologists are complex to manufacture, and a lot of people are arguing, hey, we got method of use patents, we've got all these other things that could protect them, plus it's complex, you know, generic drug makers aren't going to be able to to, to craft identical versions of it. Um, yeah, take everything with a grain of salt, you know, the, gen- don't ever underestimate generic drug makers' ability to overcome some of these hurdles and obstacles, so... I think what you have to do is you have to look at it and say, okay, well, what do I think after reading uh, through the SEC filings, after looking at these companies' drugs and, and who's challenging whom, uh, what, is my, what is my risk in this regard? You know, I'd also throw it out there that you can have it go the opposite way, too, where the branded drug actually does way better than you expect when generics enter the market. The best example I can think of this is Copaxone from Teva. Yeah, that was a really inter- interesting story. Because, well, but part of that is because they created a longer-lasting formulation that re- required fewer doses than the generic that was approved. So, you know, theoretically, if um, a new dose um, gets approved by the FDA for by the generics, then maybe you see Teva's sales slip off in that. 
Yeah, it almost is starting to seem like the more different aspects of risk you think about, the more complicated it gets. And some things are really, really difficult to actually put an expected value on. I know Gabby on her show, the Monday Financials edition of the show, on uh, talked a little bit about forecasting and how frequently analysts miss estimates hugely. And this is definitely something that occurs in biotech and healthcare as well, where it's pretty difficult to measure exactly what the, the level of risk is in all three of these things that we've talked about, the trial failure, the commercial failure, and the patent risk. So, Todd, ultimately, how, what's the best way to mitigate all of these risks? Diversification. I mean, you, you need to make sure that you're not betting the farm on any one particular biotech uh, company. Uh, you can also reduce your risk by focusing on companies that have been there, done that. You know, you look at large cap companies like, you know, Celgene and Gilead that rake in billions of dollars in sales and have a tremendous amount of money that in financial flexibility that they're plowing back into their R&D budgets. That, that's a way to mitigate your risk, too. And then maybe sprinkle in some of these more um, you know, clinical stage companies that, that pose more risk, but don't expose yourself too, too broadly to them because we've seen with Celdex and Mankind uh, and you know, PDLI potentially, um, you know, share prices can drop. Yeah, and that's also a really good way of learning the industry first, getting your feet wet before you start to go smaller cap, more niche players. Um, so yeah, I think that's really good advice. Thanks, Todd, for being on the show as always. And I'll remind everyone that people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thank you for listening and Fool on! Fool on!